I think that the internet is going to be one of the major forces for reducing the role of government. The one thing that's missing, but that will soon be developed, is a reliable e-cash, a method whereby on the internet you can transfer funds from A to B without A knowing B or B knowing A. Welcome, welcome, and welcome back to the Political Baby Podcast, brought to you by yours truly, Maro, aka Political Baby, aka the Revolutionary Shorty. Now, you already know why you're here. We're here to make academia sexy. Now, this is episode four, and I'm super excited because we would be talking about all things tech. And trust me when I say I had to get the best of the best. So please join me and welcome the startup king, the tech giant, the Odogu himself. Now please welcome Ayo. Awesome. Um, thank you so, so much for having me. Um, I'm an incredible fan of, of, of the Political Baby podcast. I think you do an incredible job of making very important topics enjoyable to listen to. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I've listened to all episodes, so incredible work so far and looking forward to, to what you're going to bring. Um, so by int- way of introduction, my name is Ayola. I am currently the CTO and co-founder at Cryptcentra. And, you know, what, at Cryptcentra, we're trying to build an enterprise-grade data platform for crypto investors. So that's what I'm sort of working on uh, at the moment. I love building products that help people, that really improve people's lives. And the most important part for me is doing it at scale. So I can help lots of people. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's looking to either just learn more about crypto, anyone who's currently investing and frustrated with the data sources you have, please, you know, go on cryptocentral.com. We are onboarding, you know, some early beta testers so you can sign up for access and we'll, we'll grant you some access. So cryptocentral.com and you can follow us on socials as well at Cryptcentra on all social media. This episode is entitled, Am I a Yahoo Boy? Inspired by Naira Mali's song. Just to put it out there, we are all Malians on this podcast. I know what they say, Malians come forward. So today is all about tech and how it intersects with pop culture, race, the economy and media. By the end of this podcast, I want to make a bet with you guys that you guys will become crypto experts. And if you don't, then I owe you money. So without further ado, let's get started. Before we build things up, let's start with light news. So Netflix Nigeria is now streaming the film Nigerian Prince to their platform, although it was originally released in 2018. The plot is about a Nigerian boy sent back to Nigeria and he joins his cousin in an internet scamming scheme. Now, there was a bit of disquiet as people argued it played into the stereotype of Nigerians being involved in scams. In fact, this stereotype is heavily embedded in mainstream culture that they are called Nigerian print scams or 419, which comes from the Nigerian penal code. Now, Americans in 2018 had lost roughly $26 million to these advanced fee scams. However, when these scams were at their peak about 15 years ago, the stats actually showed that only 6% came from Nigeria, while the bulk of activity came from the US and the UK. 
So although we are by no means the largest perpetrators, Nigerians are yet to shake off this stereotype. So my question to you, Ayo, is, you know, being a Nigerian in tech, have you faced any of these stereotypes? We've grown up as a black person in, in I guess, in the UK, where you're a minority. There are all sorts of stereotypes you face, being black, being Nigerian. When it comes to tech specifically, there's nothing, I've personally not faced anything from the point of view of, hey, you might be a scammer, kind of, um, there might be some questions around competency, um, and we work very hard to, to support other young people who might be facing that. But personally, I've not faced anything along those lines. Quite interestingly, I've, I've seen um, the opposite. So I know a lot of young startups in the ecosystem that are trying to work with remote developers based in Nigeria. First of all, obviously there's a cost to benefit. Um, Nigerian developers, probably on a per hour basis are a lot cheaper than maybe potentially high from Poland, for example. But everyone is starting to become very aware of the competency of you know, the Nigerian remote developer ecosystem. They've built comes to things maybe more socially is where you find that that 419, that fraudulent perception. But even that, you know, it's it used to be a thing maybe around 2011, 2012. I don't really hear much of it now until the whole hush puppy scandal. It's actually really interesting that you mention Hush Puppy, and that's actually what we're going to be talking about next. I'm talking about the Hush Puppy effect, but let's listen to the news coverage of it, right? So just take a listen. Dubai police have once again solved yet another case involving an international online scammer known as Raymond Abbas, but who goes by Hush Puppy on social media platforms. In less than just four months, Dubai's police force was able to solve the new operation, dubbed Fox Hunt 2, where 12 other gang members were also arrested. You guys may know Hush Puppy. His full government name is Ramon Abbas. And you may know him from his social media as he presents a lavish lifestyle and ostentatious display of wealth. He was arrested in June and it was discovered that he had committed fraud amounting to 1.6 billion dirham, where he had defrauded about 2 million people. He also tried to scam a Premier League club of 100 million pounds and he also scammed the US government of money that was supposed to be allocated for coronavirus ventilators. So the FBI got involved as well. So this led to what we know as the hush puppy effect. Now, the UAE temporarily suspended visa renewals for some Nigerians and some firms located in Dubai barred the Nigerian applicants from applying to their firms. Now, people had a lot to say, and I'll read this tweet. It says, did you read how an American citizen scammed America of COVID-19 money and used it to buy a Lamborghini? That's the same thing hush puppy did. Did you see Americans tweeting about it? No, but your bloggers feed on stupidity, thereby painting the country black. Now, if we take this phrase, painting the country black, in its metaphorical and literal meaning, my question to you is, do you think there's a racialized element to the media's laser focus on the hush puppy scandal? I think it's the history and the almost very low sophistication of the scam. Like, you know, we, there was always common, if you go on YouTube, there's so many funny videos on this of people trying to like follow up with scammers and stuff. But the the email quality was poor um, and it almost became very comedic in nature. And that was the brand 
that the early, I guess, Nigerian 419 scammers came with. So because it was a thing, it was a, a known thing in, in, I guess, popular culture that Nigerians do 419. Like it was, even people abroad knew what the 419 scam was. Now, when Hush Puppy and Nigerian was being accused of something similar, before that, there's actually been a lot of speculation around how he got his wealth and, you know, is he a 419? Is he giving organs? All kinds of um, different theories coming up. I think the reason why the reporting of what he's done is more prominent than what the American or is American, I don't know, maybe what his counterpart has done is because he's Nigerian. There's a history there. I'm not saying Nigerian, I'm not saying Americans don't defraud the American government or the American citizens, but because there's a trend, right? It's like, hey, this is another one. Um, and also, I think also the scale of what he was doing, the hyper-visibility of what he was doing. And also, I think there was also another accusation around, um, I think $124 million for, for like COVID ventilators for US citizens. Again, the, the, the touchiness of that, right? In a time where the world is going through a global pandemic and people are worried and lives are being lost, it's like, you know, almost the callousness is probably another reason why he got more, more spotlight. But absolutely, there's a racialized element to it. There is a Nigerian factor to it. There's also a history element to it, um, in my personal opinion. I think that was a really nuanced answer. I think in terms of the negative connotations, Nigerians themselves have internalized this, and we can see the correlation with police brutality incidents in Nigeria. For example, young men who drive nice cars are stopped, something akin to stop and search in the UK and US. They're interrogated on the assumption that they commit some form of internet fraud because they seem seemingly financially stable. You know, and this has led to people, young men, being wrongly arrested, beaten, and harassed. In fact, Nairamali Song Amayahu Boy, he was arrested after mere speculations that he was involved in cyber crime because he was successful. So my question to you is that do you think it's a bold statement to say that these negative connotations associated with tech has enabled police brutality in Nigeria? I think the, the Nigerian police brutality issue is, is, a, is a very painful and touchy one um, because, you know, earlier I spoke about how there is a growing, almost activist type trying to rebrand what it means to be a, a Nigerian in tech and to be a Nigerian almost with a laptop almost, right? Is that that could be a remote developer on his way from uni going back home to work um, or just on his way from his house to the office. But because he's got a laptop on him, now there's a assumption that he is or she is a, a scam artist trying to defraud people. Um, I think that, that branding has definitely affected. Um, if, when you talk to some remote developers, they definitely don't travel with their laptop. Um, that's almost pretty sure they're going to come and work in a certain office or in a co-working space. They'll rent laptops when they get there, again, just to, to protect themselves from, from police brutality. So I think because the what came first, if you, were, if you had a laptop back in the day, you were a young guy, in a flashy car, the chances are you were probably a fraudster or a fraudulent person. And now that that's changing, almost like I think the police is, there's just a lot of latency, there's a lag. That stigma hasn't gone away. That idea that, hey, here you are again in a nice car, the laptop, you're probably one of them. Um, so definitely it's been an enabling factor, but I think we're seeing remote developers finding creative ways to, to combat that. And hopefully with time, Nigerian tech ecosystem is known for the great products and quality we build, not for um, having a laptop and being a scam artist. 
<laughs> yeah, I think, you know, we pray for that as well. I think your project, Cryptcentra, which is heavily based on the cryptocurrency space, let's venture into that, like what it does. But firstly, let's break down the jargon. People want to know what on earth is cryptocurrency, blockchain, ledgers, Bitcoin, all of that. So let's start from there. Let me firstly explain what a, a cryptocurrency or digital asset is. So the first sort of cryptocurrency was, was Bitcoin and that you know, came out in 2009, just around the time of the, of the financial crisis. And I guess one of the first um, Bitcoin that was mine actually contained a message that, you know, the US government has basically printed out more money and they're bailing out the banks. So it was a way to fight back. And I, I, I talk about tech a lot and I talk about it from an activist perspective, about trying to use technology to empower a change you want to see. So Bitcoin was one of those. It was an, it was an activist group or individual called Satoshi Nakamoto, who went and, and built this decentralized currency that was away from the control of any single entity or any single individual. Now, it's all, you know, cryptographical systems based. It's all, you know, distributed and it's all sort of decentralized. And there's, again, no one single person can, can control that. Now, there are certain rules about how many coins exist, how frequently they can be released, and that, what that does is it fights deflation in a really cool way. So with the U.S. government now, as you're seeing, you know, quantitative easing and basically printing money anyhow, I get it. Like, they have to, so I, I, I really understand that. But with Bitcoin, where you can't increase the supply, what that means is that a few years ago when you can buy, you know, you can buy a pizza for like 10 Bitcoins and... Today, that, those same 10 Bitcoins are now worth about $120,000, $130,000. The value of Bitcoin has risen over time. Like what you can buy with it has risen over time. If you look at the same sort of $100 and what $100 could get you, you know, in 2009 and what $100 can get you today, you'll find that that you'll be able to purchase less. So cryptocurrency was a way to, to help the everyday consumer almost protect against that, that inflationary pressure and the overprinting of, of, of money. Then looking at, at blockchain, I think this is something everyone talks about a lot and most people I think are maybe a bit scared of because they don't understand it. But blockchain is simply, a, think about it like a, a spreadsheet or a ledger that everybody can see and no single person has control over. So if I write something on the ledger, everyone can see and verify that. And it's always going to be true. You can't go back and change. You can't go back and edit to suit your personal needs. Um, so it becomes a way where you can trust what the ledger says without having to trust any single individual. That's essentially one of the one of the powers of blockchain. And I think there's so many interesting applications and use cases, such as you know when it comes to voting, when it comes to luxury goods, when it comes to even not luxury goods but goods we consume, such as coffee, making sure. That that's fair trade by you know putting that on the blockchain and and ledgers that are visible to to people. Ask about what Cryptocentra does. So what yeah. Cryptocentra is doing is a lot of data in this space is so first of all crypto is actually a very is a growing industry but it's still quite an infancy right and a lot of data a lot of the information are distributed in different pockets. So if you're an investor if you want to make money using crypto you have to do a lot of that heavy labor, laborious research by yourself. What we want to do at Cryptcentra is bring that all under one roof. 
so that anything you're looking for, any crypto-related thing you're looking for, you can find on our platform and you can trust that data. Yeah, that was super clear. You know, I started looking at cryptocurrency like three years ago, but I was just genuinely confused about like what it is and like what it does. Are you holding a crypto? Oh, child, I wish. You've got to change that after this call. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. And I think we have to be crypto experts by the end of this podcast. In fact, this builds into my next question. I think this is what people want to know as well. You know, is cryptocurrency a scam? That's a good question. How would you define a scam? A scam is something that's intended to swindle. That's swindle. a lawyer answer. <laughs> but okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's to swindle you all your money, right? It's meant to make you worse off than when you started. Um, and with crypto, we see that that doesn't, that's not the case. Um, and I guess the way to give that validity and safety to maybe ensure that people aren't being scammed is you should start looking at a lot of G7 countries. So the US, UK, China, they are all launching their own digital currencies. They're all working on their own version of cryptocurrencies. Um, are, are, they, are they in on the scam? Um, I think that's definitely one way of, of verifying and de-risking it. Mm. Um, the fact that no single individual can, again, control, manipulate and alter What's on, the, what's on the blockchain also means that the, the risk or the chances of being scammed again are, are very, very minimal. When you look at the Twitter hack, for example, where people were saying, oh, pay me in crypto, or where the, the hacker was saying, pay me in crypto, like, I think I want to be very clear that that was a, someone hacked Twitter. That, no one hacked Bitcoin. Like, that was a mm. hack. And I think sometimes because the medium for collecting money for these people is, is crypto, people always hack you know, crypto gets a bad, bad rep in, in that regard. Um, but crypto itself is, I don't think it's a scam. Fabulous. Now you guys can tell your friends, family, that cryptocurrency is not a scam. Now with Cryptcentra, I recall you um, comparing it, like kind of saying that it's like the crypto version of Bloomberg to contextualize it. So like an information aggregator of all these cryptocurrency. And I think that is so valuable for the climate that we're in right now. At least I can speak for Nigeria, where there has been a 60% increase in the use of the blockchain.com wallet. And we just recently installed our first cryptocurrency ATM in Nigeria. And in terms of what people are searching up, you know, cryptocurrency was one of the leading terms that people were searching up in the last 90 days, which I think was possibly triggered because of the financial institutions just completely shutting down during lockdown. That means limited means of sending money. But also we have the constant depreciation of currency, meaning that there's a scramble for some sort of currency which stores value. So I think whilst Nigerians tend to be hesitant, but they are also curious. So my question to you is that, what do you see in terms of the future of cryptocurrency in the African space in let's say five years? So that's a great question. Um, if you remember, oh, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but Jack Dorsey, you see on Twitter, was in Nigeria, uh, I think two years ago, just talking about the future of Nigeria and how crypto uh, adoption is going to skyrocket in the continent. Um, we're saying this whilst in Nigeria. Um, CZ as well, so CEO Finance, um, which is one of the largest uh, cryptocurrency exchanges in the world, also, you know, saying similar thing that adoption here is going to is going to is going to basically skyrocket. And I think there are a few conditions for that. Um, 
Nigerians are fed up of the current or the consistent effective devaluation of the currency. Like the Naira is worth becoming worth less and less and less. And when you look at what drives adoption in countries like Venezuela, it's similar story. So like the, the currency became, you know, you you earned you worked hard to earn your money, and every month that was passing, you could buy less and less and less with your money. Um, so crypto became a hedge against against such you know hyperinflationary pressures. Where I see crypto going in Nigeria in the next few years is, I think a lot of digital companies, so in the entertainment space and the retail space, will start taking um, payments in crypto because. Naira is no longer mm. that trusted. Currently, they do that with the US dollar, right? But then getting USD is, is currently very difficult. Um, you still have to go through a man in the middle. There's a broad exchange problem. There's the black market problem. Um, there's also, can I trust that this is a genuine currency or a fake? Um, and these are things you won't have with crypto. I think people are going to start, you know, taking payments in crypto. That's going to become very, very normal. I've been you know, talking to a lot of, again, developers in the blockchain space in Nigeria. And there is a lot of excitement. There's a lot of people building things on the ground. So in three, four, five years time, I see a lot more crypto startups in Nigeria. I see a lot more innovation in that space. And I see a lot of African crypto specific solutions coming up to uniquely African problems. And that I think Mm -hmm. is super exciting. Definitely. I can't wait to see a crypto oriented Africa Now, you mentioned, I think, in a podcast that cryptocurrency is about status-free trust. You know, in contrast, traditional institutions have a lot of status, i.e. we trust them because of the status. At first, a lot of traditional institutions and banks try to discredit the validity of cryptocurrency. Then suddenly, there's this U-turn. For example, Goldman Sachs now launches their own new cryptocurrency. I think that's interesting, considering the origins of cryptocurrency, as it started out as rebelling from traditional institutions. So my question to you is that, should we be concerned that they are trying to infiltrate this cryptocurrency space? It's a great question. Um, and it's one that we've um, answered internally uh, at Cryptocentra very recently. So step one is, I'm very, one thing, I'm very excited that companies like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs got it wrong very publicly and also U-turned very publicly. I think Mm. that's important, right? Because that's how, I guess just is an example of the public skepticism and also change in public demand and appeal um, for crypto. I'm happy because the collective wisdom is growing. Central banks, like I mentioned earlier, going into this, and these huge financial institutions are also, you know, building their own cryptocurrencies for different use cases. It could be for internal use cases. It could be um, for collaborative use cases. It could be for research purposes. But what's happening is that the collective wisdom about cryptocurrencies is growing, and that's a great thing for the space. It's, it's an excellent thing for innovation because we can always build. So whatever data and information Goldman discovers in building their own um, future. Maybe even smaller challenger banks can start building their own and learning from that. Um, your question about control, that's a very good one. Um, I think for something to genuinely count as a digital asset or a cryptocurrency, um, the rules and the parameters governing its supply, its control of supply, its release has to be immutable, aka it cannot be changed, it cannot be edited. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so even though Goldman Sachs can go ahead and create their own, I don't know, call it G coin, for example, um, they can't be manipulating and changing the rules that govern that, that cryptocurrency that ceases to be a cryptocurrency. <laughs> I can see that you're very optimistic about it. I think that's why they call you the incurable optimist. Now we're going on a short break, and once we get back, we'll be talking about tech and activism. So stay tuned. <laughs> Guys, and we're back. So it's time to talk about tech and activism. Now, you, Ayo, mentioned that the origin of cryptocurrency had a form of activist purpose, which was was to speak out against the moral hazard of banks. Now, this has been a time where we have seen many protests. And yeah, we have always had protests. But I think what sets this year apart is the centrality of technology. And we even see things like Black Lives Matter movement. They are using blockchain. How are they using blockchain? You know, they distrust traditional institutions to keep the public records of officers involved in killings. So they place them within blockchain technology. So I remember having a conversation with you and you said tech is a form of activism. So can you please expand on what you mean by that and how you think they intersect? Um, I think there's a, there's a Twitter account that I follow. I think it's called tracker.ng or tracker underscore mm. G. And what they do is they bring to the public domain progress on government-funded projects that are meant to be helping people. So if it's a road construction, if it's a bridge construction, a school refurbishment, a hospital building, they report on the progress. And when progress is failing, they let people know. And they, they copy in all the relevant agencies, all the relevant bodies, so no more can you get away, no longer can you get away with collecting a government contract and not delivering, right? Mm-hmm. That is a form of activism, right? It's, it's silent, it's, it's, it's not in your face, but it's bringing it to the digital space where anytime there's a, there's a discrepancy, it's like, hmm, this thing should be completed two weeks ago or completed a year ago, um, we know to apply pressure on the developer, apply pressure on the government to, to start making things work better, right? Accountability, Tech, technology in that space is actually bringing about accountability. That's one, that's one form of soft, I'll, I'll call that soft activism. Um, people start to protest in different ways, either through that soft accountability where they put it on Twitter or through hardcore accountability about what they actually build. So also there's, I know um, there's a, there was a company that was working on looking at your financial transactions and making recommendations. But lots of, um, this, was, this, was in, this was in Kenya, I believe, and a lot of the data they had were of men because men were the ones who typically had um, the most accounts and registered or registered accounts. And that excluded a lot of women. So mm-hmm. there was a company who basically went and started gathering data on how women manage their finances and basically then end up selling that data um, to that startup. So that's a form of activism. I really liked your point about hard and soft activism and how tech can play in both spaces. However, we also see tech be used as a device for centralized administrations to police and surveil the citizenry. And we are seeing that with this coronavirus pandemic, as some nations are really using that as a justification to monitor, kind of like this 1984 novel by George Orwell about this big brother eye constantly spying. You know, and it's so funny because when we think about mass surveillance, we used to think about the totalitarian state. But now mass surveillance is now used in the context of tech. 
And right now with Spotify actually announcing that it's giving out free Google mini Nest speakers to its premium users, people are like, what's the catch? You know, are they listening? Are they spying? Is this some form of dystopia, like a Black Mirror episode? What exactly is going on? I, I am a firm believer in if something is free, you're probably the product, right? Most times. Mm-hmm. So obviously I, I spoke to you about it, I spoke to a few friends, and, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, cool, you're, you're getting the, the Google Nest. I'm like, you know, they're going to listen to your voice data. Like, that's probably what this is, is, is voice data harvesting. And people are like, don't care, it's a free speaker. Um, mm-hmm. When people say certain things, like if you look at the coronavirus one, where people, I think governments uh, in certain countries automatically installed um, some track and trace softwares on people's phones. In China, people started doing face recognition. Um, a lot of people are like, I don't care as long as it makes me safe. So what we're mm-hmm. seeing actually is that users are happily and willingly giving out their data for safety. They're trading privacy for safety. I think mm-hmm. to, the, to the point where it doesn't feel like Big Brother's watching them and, you know, you probably heard certain things like this, like you're having a conversation with a friend or you like a certain picture and then all you see all day is just ads of that one conversation. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, like I've seen it too personally. And I think the algorithms have gotten very, very good at really understanding us. I think that's, that's what it is. Um, and people are very happy with that, right? Like I could be talking about wanting to buy dog food for my dog later and you know, I get ads about dog food. I'm like, do you know what? I want to buy dog food anyway. So thank you for showing me this. Mm-hmm. People are actually more willing to give away their data than they give off, right? Because mm-hmm. um, again, everybody I challenged and spoke to about the whole Spotify thing was like, look, I don't, I don't care if they have my data. Like, all I want is a free speaker. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not <laughs> saying that the, the companies are totally innocent because they mm-hmm. know that's probably what people are going to do. But users mm-hmm. also want this. Users want to give away their data now, we can't talk about tech and information without talking about fake news. Now, when the whole lockdown situation started, you know, our African Caribbean aunties, someone's mother, someone's uncle, you know, sending all these WhatsApp messages about, oh, no, the 5, 5G is causing coronavirus. This is a cover up so that they can implement 5G. Now, as a tech expert yourself, can we put these rumors down to rest? Can you categorically tell us what exactly is this correlation between 5G and the coronavirus? First of all, just in case anybody else is still in doubt, Corona and 5G have no relationship, no, no causality, no correlation, no, listen, no, no, no affiliation, right? Um, I don't know how, I don't, I don't even know how that spread. I don't know how that became a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to debunk the myth, 5G and Corona have nothing to do with each other. I think 5G is a technology that has great potential to help connectivity to help drive a lot more data collection at very granular levels Mm -hmm. back at uni my professor actually you know played the piano um in london for a berlin orchestra in real time um using Mm -hmm. using 5g so a lot of research is still going going into that space to make it to make it functional and viable and you're starting to see a lot of um you know huge companies and, and big laboratories working on making sure that that's also not just functional but safe for people as well (laughs) so you have heard it here first there is no correlation between 5g and the coronavirus now 
with the 2016 presidential election, you know, there were allegations of did Russian bots tamper with the election results? So we're seeing an element of tech and that brought up the discussion of is tech undermining democracy? And then another phenomenon that we're seeing is populism. And it's interesting because populism and cryptocurrency, for example, almost share the same values of decentralization, transparency, efficiency, and trustlessness. So if people do argue that populism undermines democracy, is it safe to say that tech in itself undermines democracy as well, especially cryptocurrency? Tech is enabling democracy. Mm. If you look at a country where the the value of their currency month to month because of hyperinflation is almost becoming genuinely worthless, what you're going, what you're, what that's effectively happening is that you are at a very very fast rate impoverishing people. Now, from a sociological mm. standpoint, when there is poverty, poverty tends to lead to crime, right? with no way out for people who are losing um, the quality of life, losing means of livelihood, the rate of crime in countries are very, very likely to go up. But with things like cryptocurrency mm-hmm. as a hedge against that, what we see is it prevents anarchy, it prevents um, dereliction, it prevents what would be effective government teardown, where people are frustrated, where people are pushed to the wall, where people have basically lost everything. Um, that tends to lead to very civil unrest. And with things like mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies in place, what that means is that the chances of that happening slims down a bit. So tech actually protects and enables, enables democracy from that standpoint. And with that said, this marks the end of episode four, entitled Am I a Yahoo Boy? Thank you so much, Ayo. This was extremely insightful. Guys, please follow Crypt Central on all social media platforms and sign up for early bird access. Also follow the Instagram page at Political Baby Pod. Also, please leave a review. Tell a friend to tell a friend about this podcast because we are bringing knowledge to the streets. So see you next time on another Monday. Bye.